Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on March 28th, Lord's Day Service. Our text this morning is the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. We will read verses 1 through 11. Before I read this morning, I just want to say briefly, it can be easy at the beginning of a sermon, if you've been at church long enough, you're accustomed to listening to a passage of Scripture. And there's always a temptation to just let the passage kind of just wash over and not give a lot of attention to it. But I want to remind you of all the words that God could have left for us. He gave us this. And not one word of this book is faulty. It is God breathed. The Holy Spirit of God speaks. He didn't just speak thousands of years ago. He speaks now through the Word. So when, when the whoever's preaching reads, and when we hear the reading of the Word, receive it as the holy Word of God to the people of God, and nothing less. Let's begin reading. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there after whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but He for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's pray. Our God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thus far as we've been looking at the book of he- at the latter part of the book of Hebrews, we looked at verse uh, chapter 11, 
where the author reminds the church here of their past. He said that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Those are the people referred to in chapter 11. And then he said to fix our eyes or our gaze upon the Savior. In chapter 12, verse 2, he said, looking unto Jesus. These statements are a preface to the call in the rest of this chapter to work, to strive against sin. When we think of battling sin, the image might come to your mind of a man or woman sitting alone in a, in a room, just gripping onto something very tight, thinking about how much he or she wants to sin, and even like, like the picture that's, that Martin Luther told of himself where he became so frustrated, he, 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 for, he saw a vision of Satan in the room with him and it was so real that he took his inkwell and he threw the inkwell at Satan. So that's the image that we have of just you know, working hard by myself against that. But that is not the image presented in this passage. We pick up in verse 3 off the call to fix our eyes on Jesus, and we're told to remember how Jesus endured opposition from sinners. So think about Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus was always surrounded by sinners. He was opposed at every turn by people trying to lead Him in the wrong way, some unintentionally trying to lead him in the wrong way, some intentionally trying to dissuade him from the course. Sometimes it was even his own disciples. Think of Peter telling him that his plan to go and die in Jerusalem was crazy. Or James and John. There's a story of when Jesus went into Samaria and he told them, the gospel, they rejected the gospel, and excuse me, James and John were so angry, they said, will you please call fire down from heaven and consume them right now? Have you ever thought that when you read the news or you hear the news? What did Jesus say? Did he say, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? No. Jesus corrected them patiently because the time for judgment in that way was not yet. Jesus also dealt with sinners who were in total opposition to Him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day who were jealous of, their, of losing their power and control. And in Jesus' earthly ministry, it was undercutting their monopoly on Judaism. And they didn't like it. Did you ever, do you ever get tired of dealing with sinners? Let's be honest. Probably yes. In, in our flesh, it gets frustrating. We have to show patience to people. And, and we probably don't mind being patient the first time or the second time. 
But then after a few more times of having to, to, to give the same correction or show grace still, it's hard. Or when we do something kind for someone and they don't acknowledge us in gratitude. And then again, there are the people who don't just inadvertently sin against us, but the people who actively oppose us. You can't turn around right now without reading of a bill proposed by someone in some legislature either in the state, in a state capital, or the nation's capital that will give greater liberty to wickedness and shut down any who speak against it. Our battle is just that. It's a battle. These things come up every day and we have a choice. Either we can become cynical and give up or we can become angry and turn into Pharisees ourselves wanting to bring God's justice on all who we see as opposing Him in our own understanding. That is who the Apostle Paul was before he was converted. He saw himself as a faithful Israelite dealing with heretical people. The other alternative, and the right alternative, is to continue our fight patiently resisting the enemy with joy. Remembering Jesus' example helps us not become weary in our warfare. He reminds us in verse 4 that no matter how much we, we fight faithfully, we have not resisted, we have not lost blood the way that Jesus did. Now, we know some of the saints had already been martyred for their faith. Some had been killed. Some, many had been persecuted. So how can the author say you've not resisted to blood? Well, his point is this. You have not fought with evil and with sin the way Jesus did. You have not faced the enemy to the extent that the Son of God did. It's not to discount the losses that the church had faced. But the point he is making is that you are able to continue in this. Jesus is not only our example, He is the one who has paved the way for us. That's what the, the, the phrase the author and the finisher of our faith is. He is our pioneer. He is the one who leads us. And whatever we face, we can be assured it will never be what Jesus faced. But He did this filled with the Spirit and, in a good gospel word, the same Spirit that filled the Savior is the Spirit who fills you. Then He comes back again to the subject of discipline in the striving against sin, and He quotes from Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, verse 12. If you're a parent... You have probably memorized this passage. If not, it will help you in many, many situations. 
My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Do not be discouraged or don't be weary when you're rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Have you ever told your kids that? I'm doing this because I finish it. Love you. Yes. And then kids, does it always feel like love when your parents do that? Of course not. But adults, you can remember that, can't you? You can remember being disciplined by your parents. And I can remember it, and, and I remember thinking, I don't feel loved. I feel a slight stinging sensation. But it applies to us now. Because our Heavenly Father treats us with love and He loves us by His discipline. But what we need, before we get further into that, we need to make a distinction here. Discipline is not just one direction. When we think of discipline, we think of corrective discipline. Corrective discipline is when you receive the consequences of what comes from sin. And as we tell our kids regularly, it's best to learn now through the consequences you receive because when you get older, the consequences still come. They're just harder. I can remember one situation, my mom telling me, and I don't even remember what the situation was, but I remember her saying, I would rather have a hundred spankings than I would go through this particular situation we're having to face right now. That stuck with me. But there's another type of discipline, and that is formational discipline. So there's corrective discipline, there's also formational discipline, and you can't really just separate these two from each other. They go together. Both, both involve a degree of pain. Formational discipline is when you are pushed beyond what you feel you can do in order to form you into, or better yet, to transform you into what God desires. If you ever played sports, and your coach would say, we're going to run this play one more time. And then it was one more time, and then another time, and then after seven times, he says one more time, and you think, I don't really think he means what he says. But what is he doing? It's pushing the players and making the, and, and that pushing that trying and testing, not only is it forming in them the right way to do things, the right way to step, the right way to catch a pass, the right way to fill in the blank, it's, it's forming in that way, but it's also revealing bad attitudes. Because when you are tried, when you are anxious, when you are under great stress, things come out of you that you probably didn't know was there. 
you find yourself responding in ways that you thought, I assume this sin was dealt with about six years ago, and it's back. We see things that we didn't know we had. So verse 6 makes it clear that both forms of discipline are under consideration. When he says in verse 5, excuse me, my son despise not the chastening of the Lord, that word chastening means here to form or to train. But then the word scourge in verse 6 refers to one who is whipped. The word scourge means to whip or to flog. So both things are under consideration here. Both types of discipline. We are more likely to sin when we are pushed beyond where we are comfortable. And often we unleash our grief or frustration at the person who causes the inconvenience. And usually, who is that? The people with whom we live. Those are the people who know you. They see things about you that no one else sees. But that person, the person that is causing your trouble, the person that is pushing you in a direction that you'd rather not be pushed, even if they are in sin, whether or not they are, the person is not ultimately the problem. Yes, I'm not saying their sin doesn't matter. But they are not the one God is working in first and foremost right now that you should be worried about. The person you need to be concerned about is yourself. This passage teaches that God is the one behind our discipline. He ordained every trial, every temptation, every hateful or hurtful thing that's said or that happens to you. It's all from God. There's not a thing that happens in your life that God Almighty did not ordain. There's not a thing that anyone says to you, does to you, that takes the Father by surprise. Actually, He is the one who decreed that it would happen. No, I'm, I'm not saying He tempts anyone to sin. James says that. But there's a lot of other things that could have happened to you. And he decreed what would happen. But he does this because he's working in you. We don't grow in holiness by sitting alone and thinking, how can I grow in holiness? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this list. And I, so here I'm talking about a person that I know very well. I've done this. I can remember making a list when I was a teenager thinking, all right, these are the areas where I think I need to grow. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm going to tell you, if you're reading your Bible and you're praying and you're gathering with the saints, God will cause things to happen that will show you your sin in neon lights. And it may not be what you think you need to work on. God initiates your fight against sin. And He often uses other people to do that. This is not up to you. 
So I tell you that because you can relax. You're not on the hook to make sure that you have everything perfectly aligned so that you can schedule your own personal holiness campaign. If you're walking in the Spirit because the Lord is good, He's going to let you know what, need, what you need to work on. And He's going to let you know by the things that come up that irritate you or that make you angry or that frustrate you or that tempt you and you'll, that's how you'll see it. Now this can be an offense to us because we want to be the ones often to choose. We want to choose what we work on. I mean, I may think that I need to work on you know, learning how to enjoy good things more. That's a tough job. I need to understand how better to appreciate chocolate cake or chocolate-covered cream-filled donuts. That's just part of some people's sanctification, and I'll, I'll sign up. But the Lord says no. He has other plans. His response to our personal plans for how we're going to grow in holiness is, according to Romans chapter 9, it's something like this. Little pot, you don't know how I want you shaped. So, submit. He is the potter. We're the clay. He knows where we need the most spiritual exercise. And that's the word he uses later in verse 11. He says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. The word exercise here, where he talks about how we are trained, is reference to how athletes prepare for upcoming competition. But when we grow, this chastening, again, that's the word chastening is the exercise I'm referring to. It's plural. Did you notice that? He says in verse 10, for a few days, they, our parents chastened us and seemed best to them, but he for our prophet that we might be partakers of his holiness. So we are not chastened, we are not trained alone. This is not you and God in isolation. He has given you a family, physical family, spiritual family. He's given you people that he intends to use in your life to chisel you. These exercises are together. Because while he's using one person to work on you, he's using you to work in someone else. It's not just a one-way street. I can guarantee you there are people that he is using, he's using you as an instrument that they would rather him not use you as an instrument. You do things to other people, surprisingly, probably don't know it, and hopefully, certainly not intentional. 
that He's using you in other people's lives. And you're probably tempting other people at times in ways that to get angry or to be frustrated or something like that. That this is how, this is how God ordained it, and that's okay. Not only is it okay, it's right. So what is the result? The result is that we become partakers of the holiness of Christ. Being like Jesus means more than being nice or telling other people about their final destination. When we submit to the discipline and correction of God, we experience a taste of the suffering of Jesus. Not that Jesus ever sinned. But His life was not complete. His purpose was not fulfilled until He had endured all the suffering that God ordained for Him. This made Him a high priest who is able to identify with us in our suffering. When we submissively receive the affliction of this life that leads to correction we become partakers of God's holiness. Think about that. This is not you becoming holy in the way that you want because we're not able to understand what God, well, the, the complete perfection of God. Our minds are finite. He is infinite. We don't know how wonderful and glorious being in His presence will be. And right now, He is working in you to become not only holy on your own, but a partaker of the holiness of Jesus Christ. This is what love looks like. That's why he's saying, I'm treating you like a child. I'm not going to treat you like an illegitimate son. Because today we minimize illegitimacy because it is so prominent. We don't talk about it. We don't, this is, I'm preaching from a more modern translation. We don't use the term that was used for hundreds and hundreds of years for illegitimacy because it's considered by many inappropriate. But they knew, our forefathers understood, and they had a practice, if you were an illegitimate son, you had no inheritance in the father's house. None. You didn't have the training. You did not have an inheritance. You were isolated. It was a scourge. It was an embarrassment to be illegitimate in earlier societies. And his point is, I am treating you as my child. Even though you were once afar off, you were once removed, I have adopted you. I have brought you in. You are mine. I am treating you as my son. And because I'm disciplining you now, you will eventually receive the inheritance I have in store for you. That's the blessing that comes from this. Holiness is not just about not sinning. 
It is about enduring the evil of this world in humble, faithful obedience to God and becoming more conformed to His image throughout that process. We're tempted to resist correction and training because it's uncomfortable. No one likes discipline. So the admonition this morning is simple. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Submit to it, as he says in verse 9. When he said, furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection, in submission to the Father of spirits and live? Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And in due time, He will raise you up. I hope you don't leave this morning feeling like you were flattened. That's not the goal. But there is, a, there is sense in what God is doing. It's not random. Nothing in your life is random. Everything that happens to you and to all those around you, God is using to work His holiness and He's bringing you into eternal life. That's the purpose. And you can be assured because He loves you that this is happening. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It is hard. Sometimes we open our eyes in the morning and we think, I feel absolutely worked over and the sun's just coming up. It's hard in the way that regular exercise is hard. But this uncomfortable plowing of our hearts is the only method of producing the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And that is what we need. Let's pray. Our Father in God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for teaching us and thank You for the discipline that You send. Though it is painful, we trust ourselves to You. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's Trinity Reformed K-I-R-K dot com. Oh.